All right. Good morning. I'm back. Nice to see everybody. <laughs> Six of you are like, oh, great. This is when it starts. <laughs> It's so good to see you. Hey, thanks for wearing your masks, everybody. Uh, it, it's good to know we have a community of faith that's willing to just uh, be a little bit uncomfortable for the sake of others, and that is wonderful. And uh, I, I'm proud of us for being that kind of a space. So uh, good to have everybody here today. Thank you for joining online. My name is Ryan, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And uh, we are in a series called Hope is Open, where we've been exploring the connection between hope and peacemaking and really looking at where we believe God is calling us as a community for this next season of our kind of gathered church lives. So what it means to follow Jesus. So if you're a guest today, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being here in the room. Uh, If you've missed the last few weeks, you can always tune in if you want to. This is a unique series for us and that it really does build week after week. And I don't think you'll be lost today any more than anybody else will be lost just because the nature of me speaking but uh, you, might, you might say, oh, that's interesting. You might want to go back and watch a couple or listen to through the podcast a couple of the talks. And this will give you a good idea, especially if you're a guest, of what our uh, faith community is all about. I believe that Crossroads has always been and will continue to be a unique expression of the body of Christ in northern Colorado to bring hope and life and love into this community and into our lives to strengthen families uh, and really just be a space of unconditional love, which is what God is. So uh, our very first week, uh, about four weeks ago, we launched with this big idea that hope is hidden when peace is broken. And we talked about peace being shalom, this idea of fullness and wholeness. And that's where we kind of got our anchor verse that Rod mentioned earlier that says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. That the evidence, the fruit of our lives of actually being in the family business, being a part of what God is doing in this world is peacemaking. And so we're spending uh, really this whole series unpacking this big idea. And we started with this question of how is peace uh, broken in our world? And in the second week, we said that selfishness and arrogance break peace and hide hope. Uh, That as we looked and explored some passages in scripture, we saw that really the, the fundamental issue and where wholeness is broken is in our selfishness and in our arrogance. Right, and uh, and then last week we jumped into some pretty big topics. If you've been around church for a while, if you haven't been around church for a while, you're probably like, "Why are we talking about this?" Um, but we talked about this idea of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We talked about this theological idea of atonement and incarnation and what those are all about and how we want to talk about them in this season of ministry in the life of the big C church. And we basically said that Jesus's death and resurrection ultimately opens this universal path to peace, universal path to wholeness. That's the beauty of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and really the gift of the spirit of God to all of creation. And that what we want to do is trust that mystery that we trust the mystery that it works. And it's fun to explore the how and the why, but it is a mystery, the way in which this opens our souls to God. And this week we wanna ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of the Prince of Peace? So we start with this kind of crazy big question of disciple and discipleship, which are not typical words that you hear floating about in your everyday normal life. So we'll talk a bit about that in a minute. You know, last January, which seems so long ago, how many of y'all remember January, 2020? Right, January 2020. Uh, I remember just scrolling through my Facebook feed, and uh, Wendy and I and our family, we had been here in northern Colorado for about three months. We were feeling like we were starting to make our way around. I was having to use my GPS less and less to get around, which I still have to. (laughs) 
Like you, we were, we've been inside for so long for the last nine months. I'm still like, how do I get to Target? You know, I'm putting it in my GPS. But uh, I wanted to go on an adventure because I saw uh, somebody in our church who I had met through the young adult group. I had gone and visited and met some of our young adults. And, uh, and he, he went out and did like this winter adventure. They went and did some hiking. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to go on a winter adventure. That'll be fun. And so I sent a Facebook message to this gentleman. Uh, we'll call him Ryan because uh, that's his name. And, uh, and, and, and I said, Ryan, I, next time you go on an adventure, let me know. I want to go. And he was like, all right, man, that'd be great. And about a week later in uh, early January, Midge, he says, well, how does this weekend look? How about Saturday? I said, oh, Saturday looks great. He says, he says, well, what do you think about doing your first 14er? I had been here for not very long, right? And I was like, sure. I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm in, 14er, okay. And I knew it meant like a 14,000 foot peak and I knew it meant a hike of some sort. And uh, he says, okay, well, we're gonna go do this one mountain and it was one of the easier, he says, it's one of the easiest 14ers. We'll go do it, it'll be fun uh, and it's gonna be great. And this was me <laughs> dying, like literally dying. Uh, we started, at, he said, I'll pick you up at three in the morning. Three in the morning? What in the world? So picks me up at three in the morning. We had to drive two hours to the, uh, we couldn't even drive to the, uh, the trailhead of Bierstadt. I didn't know the name of the mountain at the time that I was climbing, right? Or walking or hiking, whatever. And, uh, and, he, and as we're going, he's like, we won't be able to go to the trailhead. We'll have about a mile and a half hike up to the trailhead. Is that okay? I was like, yeah, sure, fine. That's fine. No big deal. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> so I was tired before we got to the trailhead, right? So we do this hike, and, and, and I felt so bad for Ryan. Like, he was so gracious. Like, this hike should have taken, even in the wintry conditions, like maybe two and a half hours there and an hour and a half back. It was like eight hours. We were going, like me. I mean, I'm just like, oh, gosh, I'm going to die, you know? And, uh, and so it's freezing. But it, and this was me. Like, and so I just had to stop. Like, every 10 feet, I'm stopping. But Ryan was so great. Like, he was there encouraging me. He was like, we can do this. Don't worry. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And the one thing I'm not is a quitter. Like, we're going to make it, you know? And I think he thought he was going to have to carry me down. Like, I really, this poor guy, he's like, what's going on? But here, here, I made it to the summit. Here I am at the summit, right? And uh, we do the nice picture together, and we have the big selfie. And then we come back down, because it was so dark when we started. Uh, we got back to the trailhead and I said, well, I got to take a picture because that's how far we walked. Like I was like blown away. I was like, I would, if I would have seen that in the daytime, I probably wouldn't have done it. Right. But one thing that Ryan said is we finished this like awful day. Right. He says, next, we need to do Long's Peak. That's what he said to me. And, and me, I'm just like, I always like to try difficult things. That's kind of one of the things about me that I just, I enjoy stuff that is difficult and challenging. I said, okay, great. I said, all right, I'm in. He says, whatever you do, don't watch any videos. That's what he said. He said, don't watch any videos. I'll get you through it. I've done it lots of times. Just follow me. I will get you through it. He says, we're going to do longs. And so that kind of got in my head. I stuck in my head. Okay, we're going to do longs peak. That'll be fun. So as the weather turned, I reached out to him. I said, Ryan, I'm going to get a group of people together and we're going to do longs peak. He said, okay, just don't watch any videos. And what do you think I did? I watched every video and I was scared to death. And I recruited four or five people and we took our camper and we can't, because this one you have to do at like one in the morning, right? How many of you have done long speak? A lot of folks have, right? Uh, and, and so one, one in the back there, that's awesome. The rest of you all I am better than. Uh, and so, no, I'm just kidding, it's a joke. It's just a joke. I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm better than you, but it's not because of that. Uh, and so, <laughs> That's a joke too. It's just a joke. Um, and so, so we got, we, we went and do the long speak thing and I watched everybody. I was scared out of my head. I was sleepless some nights. 
like just freaking out, like I am going to die. Why am I doing this, right? Just watching what other people had done and other people giving their tips and how to make it to the top and this and that. And I thought, this is going to be me. But Ryan just kept saying, I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. And here I am at the summit of Long's Peak. Can you imagine? And I was actually smiling at this one. I was actually smiling at this one, right? And you got to remember, like something you don't know about is I don't like heights. <laughs> I don't like heights at all. Like it's not my jam, not at all. Uh, roller coasters, things like that. I'm, and it's not the height that bothers me. It's the falling and dying that does. Um, and so I have a healthy respect for that, right? But we made it up there and Ryan was just this amazing guide. And here's the, uh, some of us that went, uh, one of us that, that made it to the summit wasn't in the picture. I'm not sure where they were, but um, so Ryan, our guide, got us. And this guy was insane, up and down, back and forth, checking in on everybody, just getting everybody through, being an encouragement. You know, it was, he, he was an amazing guide. And what I learned about like hiking and, and this uh, whole experience of doing these 14ers was that when I needed a trail, I needed somebody to have gone ahead and created a trail. Like I was never going to go do Long's Peak as a first person. <laughs> I'm not a trailblazer. You know what I mean? But I needed somebody to blaze the trail. And then I also learned something about me that I needed to understand the trail. Like he said, don't watch any videos, but that's not my mind. My mind is like, I want to know exactly what I'm getting into. And I don't think, honestly, I would have been able to do it had I not watched the videos, had I not known what the keyhole was, had I not known what was beyond the keyhole in the, the, uh, the, the, the ledges, had I not known that after the ledges was the trough, had I not known that after the trough was the narrows, and had I not known after the narrows was the home stretch, I just wouldn't have been mentally ready for it. I would have seen it, peed myself, and ran back. Like That's what would have happened in that moment, you know? But I needed to be able to understand the trail, right? Kind of like I needed a trail map. I needed to see it. I needed to know others' experiences so that I could then make it my own. And I also learned that I needed a guide. I can honestly say I don't know that I could have done either one of those hikes without Ryan, somebody who had been there before. Now, Ryan wasn't the trailblazer. He didn't go make the trail ahead of time and say, I plotted it out, right? But he had been there. He had gone ahead. He knew what he was doing, and he got me through it. I needed that. And as I think about this idea of following Jesus, as I think about this big mountain of trying to understand God, this task that we're given as human beings, like not just Christians in the West, but people since the beginning of time, we've wondered, what does it mean? What is God? How do we understand it? Like this mountain of God, this mountain of faith, this mountain of peacemaking, I thought, boy, that's a very similar, Right? that I need a trail, like I need someone who's trailblazed that path and has shown me the way to understanding God appropriately. And I need a map, like I need a guide, I need something that can keep me focused. You know, uh, on, uh, I keep thinking that my, I keep, hold on a second, I have sensory issues, it was like really bugging me, sorry about that, my apologies, right? So I, I, I feel, I needed that, like that, that trail, right? But I also needed that map and that guide. I needed to have some handle. You know, at Long's Peak, there's like a hundred different ways you can summit this mountain. I didn't realize that. There's one way I would ever do it, right? But there's like a hundred different ways. But I just needed this, I needed a very simple, clear way, like this is what you're going to do. This hike starts here, and it broke it down into segments for me. And, I, and, and ultimately, in my faith, I feel like I want that too, I, I want that. And I want a guide. I want somebody kind of helping me along the way. 
Now, here's the challenge. Christianity, this religion that developed out of the person of Jesus, which I like to say this, by the way, I don't believe Jesus ever intended to start a religion. I just think it's what we're good at as human beings. <laughs> I think as humans, we're just really good at trying to create structures and systems that force people into a, a group, right? We're just very good at, at, at just kind of delineating ourselves from others. We love our groups. But I don't think that was ever Jesus's intent, uh, but, but I, I think that Christianity, this religion, it's offered to us all these different paths of discipleship, this word discipleship, the way in which we become like Jesus in, in, the, in the Christian world. I would say the way in which we become like love would be the more universal way of understanding Jesus and understanding discipleship, right? But in the midst of all of the Christian ways that we offer these paths, Jesus really, I believe, only offers one. So we have done this and we've said, well, here's the path. If you're part of this church or this denomination, you go through these hoops, you follow this path, and then you become like Jesus. And that might look like classes that you go through. That might look like things you have to memorize. That might look like a, a type of baptism or certain thing you have to do with your kids. But we have hundreds of these different paths, thousands of them that are all out there. But I really think Jesus offers us one. And so I'd like to take a few minutes and look at one verse, one sentence in the Bible today to explore what Jesus says about following him in discipleship. And, and, and I hope as we kind of walk through this one simple statement, we can be challenged with what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And we can begin to understand, for those of you that have been a part of Crossroads, and you're still trying to figure out who I am as this new pastor, what does that mean for our church, that you'll get an idea of the language and what we're seeing God and what we believe. I think as a church, God is inviting us to share with people and what God is inviting us to become in this day and age, in this expression of faith. So we want to look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 today. I'm going to try and talk as fast as I can, okay? Because I have far too many words for the amount of time we have. Far too many words, all right? So Matthew 16, 24 starts like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is the first word. It's an important word. It's a Bible word. We should unpack it for just a second. The word disciple in Jesus's day meant a person who would go seek out a teacher, often called a rabbi, and ask that rabbi, can I become your disciple? And the rabbi would look at them and would figure out, are they smart enough? Are they committed enough? Are they dedicated enough? And then the rabbi would say yes, or would say, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think you're quite the one, right? Because to be a disciple of a rabbi in Jesus' day in this context meant giving up everything. It meant total submission to the rabbi's teaching. It meant imitation of the rabbi. However the rabbi ate, you ate. If they slept on their left side, you slept on your left side. I mean, it was total full imitation, right? Now, this is what makes Jesus quite unique, right? In that Jesus' disciples were invited. They were probably too old to become disciples, quite honestly. Disciples would start much earlier. They had probably been rejected. They probably couldn't find a teacher that would take them. And so Jesus goes into the margins and chooses the most unlikely candidates, he would choose the sinners of the day, the ones labeled as outsiders, the ones who were having to work manual labor, that just, they just weren't smart enough. But Jesus saw something and invited them in, right? And Jesus tells us something unique about discipleship and being a disciple. He said this later on in Matthew. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is that there's a difference be, in, in becoming a Christian, right? We use that word becoming a Christian. Jesus wouldn't say that, but the principle is there's a difference between becoming a Christian and being Christian. 
right? There's this difference. So Jesus said it in terms of like, just because you say, Lord, Lord, that doesn't mean really anything. You're not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And remember for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven wasn't something that happened when you died. (laughs) It was something that happened in this life that was being inaugurated and we were being exposed to and being brought into. And Jesus says, just because you cry out, Lord, Lord, just because you have this understanding, it's when you do the will of my father. It's when you live in this pattern of life. In our like modern expression, for those of us that are here, the heritage that we come out of within Christianity, I think Jesus would say to us, just because you pray some prayer, that doesn't make you a disciple of mine. You've got to do the will of my Father. And that's why there's always this tension within scriptural texts about doing and believing, doing and speaking and doing and saying, right? And so Jesus, I think, would say, there is such thing as a disciple, And it is a person that does submit wholly, 100% of their life to this Jesus way. Not to a denomination, not to a religion, but to a path, a way. A way of understanding the world. A way of understanding our own lives in relationship to this world that God is redeeming and restoring. And so Jesus then goes on and he starts breaking down some things in Matthew 16, 24. The next part of this one verse says, Jesus says to his disciples, the ones that had committed themselves to imitating him, the ones that had fully surrendered and submitted to his way, whatever it was going to be, he says this, all those who wish to come after me must, two things, deny themselves and take up their cross. I would like to say that Jesus does not ever say, you must pray this specific prayer, you must join this specific sect, you must, he doesn't do any of that. I mean, he doesn't say you must believe this about God, you must have all your theology right, you must know who's in and who's out. All that is the knowledge of good and evil, which from day one we were told, don't even worry about that. So Jesus comes and says, if you wanna come after me, if you really wanna be my disciple, you have to first of all deny yourself, second of all, take up your cross. A couple things about these big words. Deny yourself. This word here means to disown. That's pretty strong language. So what does that mean? Do you have to hate yourself? No, I think what Jesus is saying here is we have to disown ourselves as being our ruler, our center. There has to be a movement away. It's not just denying ourselves of our appetites that are impure, right? Which is what I think moral, moralism wants us to do, Like right? Religious moralism wants us to read this as the denial of certain things. Don't drink alcohol, don't play cards, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with those who do, right? That's the, that's the way we tend to want to believe what Jesus is saying, but, but it's so much deeper. It's saying, no, the center of my existence, the one that I submit to, the one that I bow my knee to is not myself, It's not the culture that I live in that wants to give me my values. I have to deny all of that and I have to take up my cross. In other words, Jesus is saying there is a death involved here. You know, interestingly enough, this statement of Jesus, most Jesus scholars, people that spend their whole lives really examining the words of Jesus, the historicity of some of these statements, most of them would say, Jesus probably never said this phrase exactly as we have it here. And that shouldn't freak anybody out, right? It shouldn't freak anybody out because Truly, if Jesus would have said this to people as he's walking around, they would never have understood the statement, take up your cross, right? They'd be like, what is he talking about? I mean, the cross was this brutal instrument of torture. They would have never got, it'd be like us standing up and saying, well, if you really want to be a part of this church, you need to take up your electric chair and take up your lethal injection and follow me. Like that would make no sense. But post the cross, post the resurrection, you can take a whole bunch of Jesus's teachings and go, I get it. And so now we have this wonderful statement and we can see that there is an injustice to it, right? When Jesus says, take up your cross, 
What was the cross for Jesus? We talked about this last week. The cross was this moment of no more violence. <laughs> like it was a moment of, of total forgiveness. To take up our cross, again, is not, sim- now morality is important, but it's not simply the, 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 the withholding of morals or, or the withholding of pleasure, right? To take up our cross is actually to say, the pain that you throw at me, I will hold and I will not return it as pain. I will hold it in my person and I will die on that cross for your sin, the way you just treated me, and I'll return it to you as love. That's totally different than, well, we're not gonna watch R-rated movies. <laughs> See why it's a lot easier to just not watch R-rated movies? It's, it, it, and again, I'm not here to tell you not to watch R-rated movies. It's just a sample of what I grew up with, right? It's not that there's PG movies you shouldn't watch, right? I mean, the, the idea here is what the cross actually stands for is when my spouse is having a bad day and they yell at me or they lash out at me, to take up my cross in that moment is to absorb that pain, to absorb that hurt, to absorb that sin against me and return it as love. And that's a totally different thing. And see what Jesus is doing here, he's talking about a completely new way to think about God. There's a, there's a new understanding of God here. There's a new revelation of God, which is why we see in a section of Jesus' teachings, it say, well, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Like God's always revealing new things. And in Jesus, we're getting a brand new, reconstructed, redeeming understanding of God. And Jesus would talk about it in terms of new wine and old wineskins in Matthew chapter 9. He would say things like, you know, nobody puts new wine into old wineskins for the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. He says, no, new wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. What Jesus is saying is you can't take this new understanding of God and cram it into an old wineskin, an old model, an old vessel of God. There has to be continual new life, right? So this new wine is that, that God's always revealing new things about God's self that for every generation, there needs to be a fresh understanding, right? So let me ask you this question, especially for those of you that are watching or you're in the room and you've been following Jesus. You would have called yourself a Christian for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you learned something new about God? You know, I'm ashamed to say that in my life, there was probably 10 years of being in full-time, you know, leadership of a church, vocational ministry, that I didn't learn anything new about God because I probably thought I had it all figured out. (laughs) I mean, after all, I had done seven years of school. I mean, I'd grown up in the church. I had a Bible in my hand since probably before I had teeth. And after all, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What new is there to learn? How... We mistake the constancy of God's character of love and mercy and grace as if we understand fully this one who is creating the universe. Like right now, the universe is continually being created. It's ever expanding. The the arrogance that would go into my life in those 10 years, it's mind-numbing to think I could actually know everything there is to know about the God of the universe. And so... God says, no, 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 hold on, I'm doing a new thing. There's always this new understanding that's needed as human conscious develops, as we evolve as people, as we understand one another, as the world gets smaller, as we start to see the other closer to who we are. And so there's a new wineskin that's needed. Like we as people need to recognize we need to be created new. 
And I believe that grace, this work of God, maybe the spirit of God is a way to think, but the grace itself is always looking for new wineskins in every generation to hold new and fresh understandings of God. So as a person who, ha- who has been, lived my whole life in faith, I always think God is always looking for me to become a new wineskin. And as soon as I refuse to become a new wineskin, as soon as I refuse to live into this continual renewal, this death and resurrection process over and over and over again in my life, I can no longer be a vessel that can hold the new things of God, the new revelation of God. Not, and, and, and again, any revelation is inconsistent with that God is love and mercy that God is, is care for the poor. Like there's new ways in which God is revealing this to us in our world. And, and this idea of being a disciple of Jesus is nothing short of becoming a new creation. It's nothing short of living this brand new life that is different in its essence, right? It's different in, in the way in which we view and see and understand the other, the way in which we understand ourselves. Paul would say it this way in his letter to the Romans. He said, we were therefore buried with him through baptism. This is a symbolism of our death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, this new life, we too would live a new life. So that's why baptism, if you're here today and you're like brand new to faith and, and maybe you've heard talk of baptism and what's that all about, like the beauty of baptism is the symbol that it holds, that there is this new life, this new creation that we walk into, that we are transformed. And it's a transformed of our total essence and understanding of who we are in relationship to God and others. And I would say this, where, where Paul says, uh, it's, it's no small thing that Paul says that we might live a new life, because I have to say that new life is meant to be lived. <laughs> I know that sounds so like dumb to say out loud, like, well, of course, but we don't. We think a new life is meant to be learned. We think a new life is meant to be worshiped. A new life is meant to be celebrated. It's meant to be lived in our world. We actually have to live this out. And this is what Jesus means in Matthew 16, 24, as he finishes up this statement on what it means to be his disciple, right? It says, Jesus said to his disciples, all those who wish to come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's, it's active. It's following Jesus. People get nervous when I say this, especially church people. How many would you would be super proud? You're like, I'm a church person. I've been around church for a long time. Just raise your hand and I sign. If you're at home, just own it. There's nothing wrong with it. But I'm, what I'm gonna say is gonna freak you out and I don't mean for it to freak you out, okay? But it's gonna freak you out, all right? But just hold it. Jesus says, take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't say follow the law. He doesn't say follow the Bible that I'm gonna give you in about 300 years, <laughs> Does that mean there's not wonderful things that we follow in the Bible? Yeah, but the truth is we don't follow the Bible. We follow Jesus and we interpret the Bible through the lens of Jesus and we recognize that, that what scripture actually is and what it is not. But Jesus says, follow me. And, and the scriptures, especially the gospels, are this beautiful picture that we get of Jesus. It's what God has given us in God's providence. And so for Jesus, when he would say, follow me, it would mean to hear and do, right? You can't just be a hearer of things. You actually have to do. You can't just understand the law, even the law of Christ. You actually have to do it. And there is a difference between follow and worship. Do you know there is a danger to worshiping Jesus? Again, like my church people are freaking out right now. (laughs) No, listen, 
There's, there's a danger to all good things, by the way. And if you've had too much chocolate cake, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like if you've had too many of, you, you bought like one of those like king size Reese's peanut butter cup packs with four of them and you thought I'll share them, but it, you didn't make it home to share, right? There's a danger in worshiping Jesus. You know, the best way to kind of defang the gospel, the best way to, to really like take away the power of the message of Jesus is to just be satisfied worshiping the messenger. And I think that's what we've done. Because the truth is we can worship ourselves right out of obedience. Like we, we can do it. Like we can tune in and hear the worship music or come and listen to the message and we can get the little goosebumps on our arms and we can experience God's presence in a unique way. And then we can walk out going, oh, it just was so good. God's so pleased with me. God is so pleased with me. And it's very deceptive. And we, did we technically do anything wrong? Well, no. But did we do anything beautiful? Did we do anything that could actually save someone from, from this world and, and the lies of this world? Well, probably not. And the good news, here's the good news is we shouldn't feel super bad about it because it's been happening since the beginning of time, right? This idea of worshiping ourselves out of obedience, the prophet Micah would say it this way in Micah 6, 7, and 8. Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, should I just worship perfectly because worship in ancient Israel was sacrifice. It was all about sacrifice, bringing in the sacrifices, the oil, pouring it over on the altar, bringing in the rams, at one point in time, there was human sacrifice all throughout human history. If we just do these laws, if we just worship right, isn't that what God wants? And we get this beautifully, wonderfully inspired passage that, that God speaks to the prophet Micah and says, he has shown you, pardon the he, you could use whatever pronoun you want there. God is neither male nor female, but that's the language that we had and have. And it says, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Nothing in there about singing, nothing in there about sacrifice, nothing in there about tithes, nothing in there about volunteering at the church. And the, all those are expressions of this sometimes. But the requirement, what is it to follow after this God? It's always been do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Jesus is the perfect picture of this, by the way. If you want to know what it looks like to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly in your everyday normal life, it's Jesus. Paul would talk about it in terms of being a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, right? On the altar of justice and mercy and humility. So what is justice? Justice is getting what you deserve when you're oppressed. That's what justice is. The call to justice and righteousness is to be treated with human dignity, to be treated with the grace and the love of God, to stand up for those that have been oppressed, to give ourselves to the elevation of those who unjust systems have, have put into a space of poverty, have put into a space of, of criminality. That's justice. What's mercy? Mercy is getting what you don't deserve because you're loved. We act mercifully towards those. We meet needs of people that we might not understand and we might even fall into some crazy idea of thinking, well, they don't deserve, but that's mercy. That's who God is for us. It's for, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What does it mean to walk humbly? It means to say, okay, I'm not the one leading the path. <laughs> to walk humbly is to say, I don't know everything. I hold my doctrines and my beliefs and my understandings of God in a, in a very loose way because I'm always growing. Because the wisdom from above is, first of all, 
humble. To walk humbly with God, to say, God's the one who's leading, I'm following. So I think Jesus taught this new wine, this new way of understanding God. And it wasn't new. <laughs> it was just a new understanding. It's just trying to break through. But he specifically taught this idea of justice, mercy, and humility. And he taught it in such a clear way in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the core of Jesus's teaching. Jesus probably went from place to place teaching these principles over and over and over again. Jesus didn't write a new sermon every week of the year. <laughs> That'd be awesome. As if we got the one last week. You know what I mean? It's like Jesus knows us. He's like, I'm going to give you about eight things. and <laughs> Let's just focus on those. But we get bored with the eight things. We think, well, we think I know it, so let's move on. But I really don't know it in my bones. I'm not out there. So the, the, I, I think that the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, this core of Jesus' teaching, is the impractical path. Right? Remember talking about needing that trail? Jesus blazed the trail, and then he left us a trail guide. It's the Sermon on the Mount. In, in his book, A More Christ-like Way, Bradley Jerzak says it this way, God's heart is reflected perfectly by Jesus Christ, described perfectly in the Beatitudes, which is kind of the prelude to the Sermon on the Mount, and prescribed, in other words, given to us as something to obey, perfectly in the Sermon on the Mount. And so here's the point. I know you're like, thank God the point. We can wrap this sucker up. The kickoff is happening soon. All right, here's the point. Disciples, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Disciples learn to do. We don't learn about, but we learn to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly by following the path of Jesus that's found in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it means to create a pathway of discipleship, to become like Jesus, to understand Jesus' teaching, and then to do it, to live it out. So what about your everyday normal life? What about tomorrow at 10 a.m.? So here's what this means for us as a church, for us as individuals, is that real spiritual growth has to be based and understood in love and action. Love in action. We cannot base and think about spiritual growth in terms of attendance, how many times I went to church, how many classes I took, do I know all the books of the Bible in order, right? It ha we have to think about our maturity and am I able to produce love in action? Am I actually able to forgive that person who doesn't deserve it? Am I actually able to give of my hard-earned money that I worked hard for, that I'm not lazy for, that I feel like I were, can I actually give that to someone who doesn't deserve it? Can I hold that loosely? Like love in action. And, and then we're not talking about, it has to be, you don't have to go st start a nonprofit, right? It's the simple everyday life stuff. But at some point in time, at some point in time, I had to stop watching YouTube videos about Long's Peak and I had to go to the trailhead and start walking the mountain, right? How, how foolish would I sound if I were like, hey, I, I climbed Long's Peak via YouTube, just watched YouTube over and over again. It was as if I was there. And then I green screened myself on the back of it. It was awesome. I know exactly how to do it. But if I never go through that process of walking, getting tired, slipping, needing to take a break, getting off the trail, getting lost a little bit, jumping back on, I'm not actually in it. At some point, the mountain has to be experienced and not just known. I can't just know about it. I have to experience it. So I want to encourage us to understand that what God is calling us to do as individuals and as a gathered church is to commit to living the blessed life of an everyday, normal peacemaker. What I believe God is calling us to is nothing new, but a new way of doing everything. What I believe God is calling 
the church, not just Christ, but the church is to do everything in a new way. Nothing new, but just to do everything in a new way. That our lives would be modeled after this in our everyday, as we go out and work and as we make money and as we buy things and as we invite people into our homes, as we go to church, all these things, it's not a new program. It's a new way of doing everything. This lens of the Sermon on the Mount. And so next week, we're actually gonna talk in detail. What are these works? We're gonna give a big overview of the Sermon on the Mount to say these are the works of an everyday normal peacemaker. These are the works that lead to this blessed life. And here's what I truly believe. I truly believe if we will submit that Jesus has blazed a trail of what it means to be human in this life, (laughs) truly human, to truly aspire and live in, in God, and Jesus has offered us a trail map, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has offered us history of people who've lived this out, that we will reach the summit of existence this side of eternity. And that summit is the blessed life of an everyday peacemaker, to live in the divine life. And that's what we're going to do next week is look at these works, look at these, you know, if you think about the, the way in which this path works that lead us to this life that is more abundant than we could ever ask or imagine. And so as we do this, as we kind of wrap up today, we've got a song called Brighter Than Apathy for you. We did this song uh, this past summer. I love this song. This song says, I want to live for something bigger than fear. I want to live for something bigger than apathy. I want to give my life to something that costs me. And and I love this anthem. And so as this song plays, I just encourage you to ask God's spirit, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, meditate on this question. What is God inviting you into today? What am I exploring? What am I understanding? What do I sense in my spirit God's saying to me? What is the new thing that God wants to do in me? And here's some real easy things this week. I hope that you sense God inviting you to read Matthew 5 through 7 this week. Just a little prep reading. It's not too long. It won't take you too long. If you don't have a Bible, if you're new to Bible study, just Google Matthew 5 through 7. I would maybe encourage you to Google with it the phrase New Living Translation because that'll give you a translation of the scriptures in a kind of a pretty easy to read and follow modern language. So maybe you'll read that this week. Maybe you feel an invitation to host a trunk at Oktoberfest. Now, <laughs> like this is what I mean by like everyday normal life. <laughs> Believe it or not, hosting a trunk is a peacemaking activity because it introduces people to the love of Jesus, one, candy, one piece of candy at a time. Right? I mean, it says there is a space for you. It says all kinds of things, but this is it. But we do it now out of a motivation, not because, oh, the pastor guilted me into it. I mean, I'll take that if that's what it takes, but that's just early Christianity, right? Let's move past that, you know? But it, it, it is actual peacemaking. These types of things, we give up of ourselves when we, when we take the time and, and we do things for like this idea of creating wholeness, we trust God to do that. And maybe you're interested in baptism. You want to explore this idea of baptism. You've never been baptized. Maybe you've been around for a while and you've heard and you're like, oh, what is that? Well, check the little box on the back of the connect card or on the digital connect card and just begin to say, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean to die to self, right? So let me pray for you. Enjoy this song. During the song, you can finish filling out that digital connect card, finish filling out your connect card here, um, get your offering ready, and then our hosts will be uh, back up and our anchors will be out to get us out of here. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you've given us a a trail map called the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for Matthew who kind of put it and compiled it together for us. Thank you that it is still changing lives. Open up our hearts to this reality, God. 
that justice, mercy, and humility are the cornerstone of what it means to be a disciple of the Prince of Peace, that this is the heart of love, to give ourselves away for justice, to give ourselves away in mercy, and to do it with you in your name because you've given it to us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.